wish to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's been a privilege and a blessing to be here and to uh, be involved in the Sunday school lesson and and to uh, and the, and the opening comments were a blessing. Um, this morning, as was announced in prayer prayers, probably the the title is "State the Fool and His Folly." Um, it's not been the easiest easiest message for me to to bring about, especially on a nice day like we had yesterday. These thoughts were running through my mind, and then we had such a nice day yesterday, and I was thinking, maybe it's my folly to be studying on the fool on such a pretty day. Uh, but it's a a message that um, has become meaningful to me, more meaningful to me as I see all that Christ has to say and all that the Proverbs have to say, other parts of the Bible have to say about the fool. And the Bible deals with the fool, and if the Bible does, there's reason for it, and we need to take take note. Um, so I want to start out with the good foundation, and that's in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. If you're going to open your Bibles to that. The good foundation. Now, there is a characteristic of a good foundation that I find very appealing. And that is a good foundation will hold itself, but not just hold itself, but it will hold up a lot of weight. It will take a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure. It will hold back earth. Um, it won't sink. It can bridge soft spots in the soil. It won't do like the Eiffel Tower and start tilting. Uh, that's a good foundation. Unlike some other foundations that are, are uh, promoted today, prefabricated foundations, some of these foundations uh, are prefabricated. And if everything works, if they're engineered, if everything works, these things come out, they're, they're put on, on a, a bed of gravel, and, and then to, to keep the walls from coming in, there has to be a floor poured to make sure so that the, the base doesn't come in with the pressure of the outside soil. And to keep the top from caving in, you have to have joist or something go across there and, and keep that top, keep, a, keep strength in the top. Now these are actually, uh, in the code book, you're allowed to use them, and, and if you want to do so, well, that's up to you. But I wouldn't have it because I want a foundation that I know that I can put up against a mountain and that you can backfill against. And it's going to hold its own. You can leave it go. You wouldn't have to put a house on it ever. And that foundation 100 years from now is going to still be there. Unless, of course, you have some sort of earth-shaking event or something, uh, you know, what they would say, caused by God. Um, but in natural forces that are, you know, the 100-year natural forces. It's, it's going to stay there. Um, that we like good foundations. We like something that is going to be there that we can build on, and we don't have to worry. You don't have to put some... We don't have to pre-structure something on top of it to make it hold together. Um, spiritually speaking, that's, uh, that's what 
I like to see as well. And that's what we need because we're not going to be around tomorrow. But the word of God will be here. And let's read this passage, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, I'm not thinking here that he was talking about some little small rock. He was talking about probably a field of rock out there. There was a rock that you just couldn't go and pull up with a, an excavator. It was a... It was, a rock like you'd find in these mountains. It was well established and well planted. And uh, whoever built on it, dug down to that rock, he was able to put his foundations on there and come up. The wind blew, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. That rock wouldn't move. And then he says, And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not, doesn't do them, shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know what it's like to, what happens when you get a lot of rain. We've had downpours here just recently. You can have, you can have a road well put together. You can have, you know, uh, drain systems that are working in normal conditions. Um, you can have foundations that will work in normal conditions, but when that torrent of water comes, it can quickly erode out whatever we've built up. If it's not, if there's a rock there, a concrete there, something very solid. Um, and so that's what we want. We want a base. We want to build on, on rock. And, and Jesus says that's like, this man, the man that doeth the sayings, is like the man that built his house upon a rock. So basically he's saying his word, his word that we have here this morning is like a rock. If we build on it, uh, we can expect our, our building, what we do, to last. It's, it's part of building on that rock. It's tied into that foundation. If we don't, uh, if we don't do them, we can expect our work to to fall because it's built on something less than, than rock, than truth, than eternal. So that's the foolish man. He's the man, the fool in his folly. He's the man that's building on his house on the sand. He's not doing the word of God. And maybe that could be the definition of the fool. The person that doeth not the will or doeth not the, the, what Christ says. Matthew 5.22 uh, says, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Uh, being a fool is something that Christ takes pretty seriously. Uh, Rekha meant uh, empty-headed. I don't know... I, I, can't, I didn't look up the definition of fool here, you know, the Greek word. But let's just say, for this morning, we'll say willful empty-headedness. Somebody that's willfully empty-headed. It's beyond just being, you know, ignorant, but it's willfully being empty-headed. Um, willfully not doing the will of the Father. Or, and, and willfulness doesn't always come about by just 
you know, going out and saying, I'm not going to do it, but it can come about by just, you know, uh, doing something else, deciding for something else, may without even making a decision not to. So let's look at the warning and the characteristics of the fool to, in, in effort to, to uh, avoid his punishment, in effort to, to not um, have our house be built on the sand. Last Sunday I read the, the scripture out of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yet we wept when we remembered Zion. We heard this, this was a theme that we heard this morning in our opening. We hanged our harps on the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If we forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If we do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Here are people who felt like they've, they had lost something very precious. Imagine them um, singing there on the, the banks of the river Tigris or the Euphrates. There in Babylon. This may have been a psalm that... You know, David wrote after the fact, or it could have been that this was some of their writings uh, that came back from Babylon, from the exile, and, and David compiled it in his psalms. I don't know. But it was there. It was part of their culture, this psalm. And, and I believe that they felt, these people felt, um, like they were suffering the consequences of, of some very foolish actions of their forefathers. Um, and they were, they were pining to be back in that relationship with God again, to be back in their homeland again, to be back where they, um, where they belonged. And life becomes very difficult for us if we lose our reason for song. It, it becomes difficult. Um, and unfortunately, we're prone to foolishness. We're prone to that. We're only a step away from it at best. And so let's look at this. Characteristics of the fool. Psalm 53.1. You, you could have known that's where I'd start, right? He denies the very existence of God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. They have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. You know, perhaps these folks don't deny God's existence verbally, uh, but by attitude and, and, and deed, he denies the authority of God. Now, there's some that say, yes, you know, there is no God. I was reading, I read a, um, a, a piece on... Uh, on theology just this morning and there were some people on the blog below it that were talking you know saying they're giving their reasons for not believing in the existence of God and uh, you know I felt sorry for him I felt sad for him uh, they came through very angry uh, many of them did or very haughty and I had to think you know there's there's a um, 
they're building on, on a very insufficient um, foundation, one that's going to collapse, one that's going to fall at some point. Some even view God as a political figure, you know, one who should be the servant of the people, you know, one that should do the will of the majority. Uh, some people view God that way, but that isn't God. That's not the God that we know, the God of the, of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament. Uh, maybe, and some deny God's Son, Christ, as the, the only Savior of the world, as the creator of the universe, they deny him. And some say they don't need salvation. They can just be good. I was, uh, in reading Keith Green's biography, one of his quotes uh, really uh, hit home to me. He said this about people that just, you know, wanted to be nice, wanted the humanistic sort of view. Just want to be nice. Somehow, my goodness is going to get me to heaven. His reply was, you, you, may, you may be the nicest guy in hell. You may just end up being the nicest guy in hell. Um, and I believe that's, that's true. We, we can be nice, and there are nice people. But God has a way, and, and for us to deny that way is, is foolishness. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make, it's not building on the rock. Proverbs 10.8 says, He will not receive commandments. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. He gives, infers that the, the foolish man won't receive commandments. He he's, he he's backs up against the commandment says, no, I'll do my own thing. He considers irritating others in vandalism or thievery of another's property to be sport. That's Proverbs 10.23. It's a sport for it to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. <clears throat> he considers the evil. It might not be a deep evil, but the, the evil are in his opinion or in other people's opinion. But he considers that to, to be a sport. He despises his own father's teaching. In the, in the story of the prodigal out of Luke 15, 11, the fool makes light of the valuable and precious. You know the story of the prodigal. He leaves home. He, he asks his father for the blessing, uh, for his blessing. And he goes and lives a riotous life, a life of wanton living. Through it, he squanders in a moment a pleasure, probably many years, of his father's and, and maybe his own labor, his own wealth. Um, more importantly, he squanders his, his own position, the love of his father, the morality of life he, he squanders and for, his, for his own self-love. Proverbs 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. A fool despises his father's instruction. That's a folly of the fool to despise his father's instruction. I have some friends I, I grew up with who had a dad who was, who was very tough. 
tougher even than me. I just had to throw that in. Now, this dad, uh, unfortunately, did things and said things and, and, um, that, that hurt, his, hurt his family, both physically and emotionally. And, and I'm sure the boys didn't respond like they should have. I know they didn't always respond like they should have. And, and I'm sure they, many times they needed punishment. You know, that was administered with love, but that's not what they got. You know, but what I admired about these boys is as they grew older um, and matured, um, you know, while they didn't have a lot of positive things to say about their father, they didn't talk negative about him. I didn't hear any negativity about him from them. And as time passed in, in the more recent years, I've noticed different times of them reaching out to their father, including him. He's older now more frail, but I've, I've seen them reaching out to the, him and uh, making, bringing, drawing him, doing what they can with, uh, with love to, to include him in their family. Um, you know, I believe that God is going to reward and has rewarded those boys for, for their willingness to do this, to, to reach, reach out. And, and, uh, I believe that they've done everything they could or, or try, have tried to do everything they could to take all they can of their father's instruction. In the Old Testament, we know that the, the law dealt very harshly with a son who didn't show respect for his parents. It was the death penalty. So I think we need to, to take that seriously. Uh, whatever stage we are in life, son or daughter, we need to take very seriously uh, to not despise the, our father's instruction. That's folly to do so. You know, obviously, there's a time when a, a son or daughter needs to take responsibility for their own learning. For example, if you have a, a, a son or daughter or a child who's been taught by his father all through his life not to go to church and not to believe in the Bible, uh, then we know that they, they need to obey God. They need to step out and do what's right. And, and, you know, maybe the father could be left feeling like he's being despised because, or his teaching's being despised because his children have, have, aren't doing what he taught them. But that's, you know, reality, not the case. It's what he probably wouldn't realize is he's receiving, he's receiving an unmerited blessing by his children you know, doing the right thing. Um, but to, to, for most of us, for most of us, we've not been in that sort of situation. We're not dealing with that. And it's folly to, re, to despise our Father's instruction. It's one of the verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 15.5. Proverbs 14, 16. A fool is confident and even rages in the midst of an evil environment. That's putting it in my own words. In Proverbs, it's, um, this Proverbs 14, 16. The fool rageth and is confident. And the Bible gives us very clear direction of what to do when we're faced with or tempted with evil. It's not to 
rage and be confident. First uh, Corinthians six eighteen says, "Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body." First Corinthians ten fourteen says, "Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry." First Timothy six eleven says, "But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness." 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. James 4.7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Evil comes at us in very many different ways. Probably in more ways to us today, than in, in Paul's day. Evil has its allure, and the fool is taken in by it. It's the folly of the fool to, to become involved with it. But the man of God flees these things and follows after godliness. You know, I encourage us this morning as we look at this, to look for ways in our lives, in your life, in my life, that evil may be an endangering your life, your moralities, your attitudes, or your principles. You know, the devil's way isn't necessarily to just come and topple you over. His way is, is to come in and chip, chip, chip. To, you know, to cripple. Cripple a little bit here, cripple a little bit there. Slowly take that building out. And unless we're, we stay anchored on that solid foundation... He's going to be able to, to chip us away. And we need to be looking for ways that, that uh, evil could be endangering our life or coming in the door. And then if we see those, we need to be looking ways to, to flee or to minimize those influences. We're in the world, so by necessity we're, we're faced with evil. We're faced with temptation just because we're in the world. Um, we don't have, Jesus didn't indicate that we're somehow supposed to find our own little island. And even if we were on our own little island, we'd be faced with temptation. Uh, so we're in the world. The temptation is from within. Like Jesus said, it's these things that come from within that make us, that, that destroy us. So we need to figure out what, what, uh, what those things are. They could be attitudes. They could be advertisements. They could be... Um, all kinds of different things. Even in our witnessing, missionaries, um, or even when we're out in the field, you know, we can be faced with evil. Flee those things that, that uh, are prone to knock us down, or else submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist, resist the devil. have the critical difference here between um, facing temptation and confronting evil. Those are two very different things. We're called to confront evil, but we're called to flee temptation. And, and the critical difference is this, is how we see the evil. Do we entertain it or do we confront it? Is evil we're faced with, is it repulsive? 
Or do we find sort of a pleasure in it? You know, we can see evil at a distance and say, no, 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 that's bad. But find sort of a pleasure in it. For example, we can be on our knees praying for our brother or sister's repentance and reconciliation at the same time, you know, just getting a bit of, of evil entertainment out of the juicy details. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? Where you can, you know, be praying for your brother or sister's uh, repentance or reconciliation. There might be a relationship that's all skewered or you know, there might be something, a, a terrible moral problem. But we, we get just sort of a, a, you know, entertainment or a satisfaction of the, the juicy details. That's, that's something that's not good that comes from within. And we need to, f- to flee that, to, to resist that, resist the devil in that. You know, what are we doing with the evil that comes our way? Are we negating its influence in our life? And, and by example in the lives of those around us, are we encouraging it? By, it's influenced by our fascination with it. And, and the resulting familiarity that comes with it. If we don't wish to be the fool, we'll have to follow after godliness close enough that we don't find the evil, in, evil entertaining or attractive. If we don't want to be the fool, we'll have to follow godliness very closely. The fool's not a very quick learner. Proverbs 17.10, a reproof entereth more into a wise man than in a than an hundred stripes into a fool. He's not a very quick learner. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Otto Koenig makes the statement in his pineapple series, and I don't know if I had, I don't have this word for word, but as I recall, he says, Lord, if you need to teach me something by taking by taking something from me, by removing something from me, please start with my things, my, car, my house, my car, Lord, whatever. Please leave my wife and family for last. For last. You know, I don't, we don't understand the Lord's workings and how he works and why he works in our lives. And, and, and you know, the Lord, I don't believe, uh, we don't always understand, you know, like Nevin's mother, for example, I'm thinking of her. You know, why does she have cancer? Um, and, of course, there's partly, it has to do with the way of nature. We're not here forever. Um, but I can understand and appreciate Otto's sentiment here. You know, Lord, give me the chance to be an easy learner before you take something that's the most precious to me. If it's, if it's for the reason that I need to learn something, Lord, start, you know, start with, with uh, the things. Um, it says the fool's not a very quick learner. Um, let's be quick learners. A hundred stripes would seem to be a, a very difficult punishment to take. Uh, and it says a reproof uh, does a lot more for the wise man than a hundred stripes for the fool. That's Proverbs 17.10. Proverbs 17, 7, excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. The fool with an excellent uh, or a slick tongue is, is nauseating. Uh, you've seen this, I'm sure. Um, give a little story of, of a, 
of, a, of an auctioneer I knew. Um, this man had a, a very gifted tongue for auctioneering. He, he was a pleasure to, to listen to. You, you, could, you could just about, you sell your goods just because you enjoyed hearing him. He was a charmer in auctioning. But he had some, he had a lack of principles. Um, he sold antique goods that were not exactly antique goods. And uh, he told the story to another friend. Now, this was an ex-Mennonite boy, unfortunately, this auctioneer. And he, he was telling the story to uh, a friend of his, or had been a friend of his, and this was passed on to me then, uh, of how that after one sale, he had this very irate customer. And this customer was irate because after they had bought this supposed antique, item, they noticed a stamp on the bottom that said this item was made, it was not so recent looking stamp by the way, and this item was made in a faraway land. And it made this customer quite upset. They'd given a premium for this, for this object or this thing. And they were demanding a refund. Well, he had a way of kind of, you know, stalling things and the first chance he got, as soon as he had wrapped up things, well, he was in his car and he was truck and he was gone. Well, he was on the road for a bit and also noticed this customer was pulling up behind him on the road, following him on the highway. And um, he came up beside him and was trying to push him over, make him get over. And he, you know, he, his response was, his, I, this is his quote, I, I did what I had to do. He said, I reached down into my side, the side of my door and pulled up my 44 mag in the side of the, those customers and laid it on the dash. And he said, uh, the disgruntled buyers just backed off. And that was the end of the, the matter. That was his way of dealing with, with this incident. You know, I'm sure to that disgruntled buyer who had every reason in the world to be a disgruntled buyer, uh, that auctioneer's tongue had become nauseating. And uh, unfortunately, that tongue had been nauseating to some other people even closer to home than that disgruntled buyer prior to that. A quote from me this morning, a gifted tongue is an unfortunate gift for the fool and his surrounded, surrounding society. A gifted tongue is an unfortunate gift for the fool and his surrounding society. Just as a sidebar, I was reading some quotes on the fool and one I found somewhat interesting. Uh, the fool and his wealth are soon elected. Um, that one is probably not the best to put in here, but um, the fool and his wealth are soon parted was the other one. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Proverbs 26, 11, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. He becomes bound by the most repulsive. The fool becomes bound by the most repulsive. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. We have dogs, and if you have dogs, you know they have some disgusting habits. And one of them is eating too quickly, and you know then it all comes back up, and the rest of the story is not palatable for Sunday morning worship. Uh, the dog 
returns to his vomit. Sadly, if you were in certain places this morning, you'd see men in the gutters sleeping with brown paper bags, maybe tucked in right up against them, or awake with faraway looks in their eyes. Men bound to alcohol, to drugs. Men with many needle marks in their arms. Men whose lives have been ruined, destroyed, and whose families have been ruined and destroyed by their addictions. A dog returning to his vomit is nice compared to what these people are being bound or have been bound in. And the truth of the matter is, the devil can take very nasty content. He can frost it. He can even put candles on it. Make a shine to it. And make it alluring even to the wise person. There's a verse that said that him that to him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. It does us well to consider carefully. Are we only entertaining the healthy, the pure, the truth in our thoughts, in our attitudes, our actions? Or have we or will we? Are we willing to entertain the devil's vomit of, of bondage and, and unrepentance? Jeremiah 17.11 says, As the partridge, partridge sitteth on, its, on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that entereth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at the end shall be a fool. And the fool and his money are soon parted. It's kind of the same concept here. Uh, I was reading a bit, and uh, Brother Delvin touched on that in the Sunday School lesson this morning about the, the lottery. And... I was reading a bit on, on some of the, uh, I was going to share that, but I'm running out of time, I see here. Some of, uh, there was a paper talking about some of the, the consequences or what happens, the statistics of people who have received large amounts of money. And those from the lottery, from winning the lottery. And uh, it's not that great. A lot of those people haven't made wise decisions with it and actually their lives have gone downhill. Uh, some of them, some of them have even committed suicide. And, and many of them end up quite penniless. It's kind of, it's unbelievable really, but that's, the, the, the fool and his money are soon parted. Um, he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days. He's not rich toward God. Luke 12, 16 through 22. There's a passage about the, the fool and, and how he laid treasure up for himself and said, I'm going to build bigger and I'm going to make things for myself. And, and God said, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. The fool can be considered very wise by the world and still be the fool. Let no man deceive himself, 1 Corinthians 3.18. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. I'm sure you've heard quotes or read quotes from celebrity that are supposed to be very wise. But if you look at or scrutinize even for a minute, you can say, you know, compared to what we read in the Bible to the rock, 
uh, it's not wise at all. And so they must think that we're fools for the quotes we give out. Uh, but that's okay. If I'm wise in the Bible and the principle of the word, that's okay with me. I'm fine with that. I encountered a salesman just the other day. He wormed his way into my office before I realized it and started out with this thing about his boss, you know, started up some company and sold it five years later for a hundred million, so many million dollars. Then he started up another company and sold it for so many. And now he's starting up this company. I had this opportunity to get involved with it. You know, by this time I'm trying to work him back out the door. You know, to me, if money is the measure of a man's success, then the crooks on Wall Street, those uh, people that, those people are huge successes. I'm not saying all, all people on Wall Street are crooks, but they certainly have more than their share there, I believe. Um, and some of them are even sitting in a tax, uh, or in a tax-subsidized Hilton today, uh, you know, in the prison. Some of those, even those, are still successes uh, if, if money is what makes a man a success. But that's not wisdom, that's foolishness. That, that foundation is going to fall. It's going to wash away. Well, if you just look at the fool and his folly, you could be like me and get, by the time I got to the end of the study, and, and feel kind of discouraged. Because uh, really, I see that, you know, the fool's tendencies so close to the surface, maybe, or so easily, easily carried out in my own life. But we're not fools when we get together and we encourage each other when we worship God. We're not fools. We're strengthened. It's a place where we, we can become strengthened, where we can build each other up and get a little further away from that door. I remember thinking of the foolness folly. I remember being a six-year-old in, in Guatemala and we were uh, in the back of the van with, with John Troyer's family. John Ray and I were sitting in the back there in the van and, and we'd drive up close, get close into the inner city. And I see these men, you know, with, with uh, having you know, drunk a lot and they're lacking equilibrium and they're going this way and they're going that way and, and uh, John Ray and I are back there and we're snickering and we're, you know, there's one, there's one and we're laughing and, and uh, you know, I remember my mother's reaction. She, she came back and put her face pretty much close to my face and said, Gerald, she said, uh, she, she let me know, I don't exactly remember the exact words, but I remember this quote so clearly. I don't know how many times she said it that I remember it today, but she said, Gerald, if it, except for the grace of God, we could all be there. You know, to me at that time, I thought it, I didn't need the grace of God not to be there. Uh, I wouldn't be there anyways. That was me thinking that time. But, you know, when I look at it introspectively, uh, what she said is so true. But for the grace of God, we could all be the fool with a lack of equilibrium. We could all be there. And, and, the, and the threshold from going to being the enlightened uh, man of God, man of, lady of God, child of God, 
to the, the fool is not so great. That, that doorway is not as large as we might think it is sometimes. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to read this reading yet. It's Keith Green's rendition of the prodigal son. I was done hoeing out in the fields for the day. I was thinking of going. This is the prodigal. I had to leave right away. My life is just fading. And oh, I felt so alone. The nearest young maiden was a full day's ride from home. My father was reading the holy books in his room. My heart was just bleeding. I knew I had to go soon. He smiled and pointed to an old wooden chair. I wanted to hold him, but then I just wouldn't dare. I said, Father, there's so much to know. There's a world of things to see, and I'm ready to go and make a life for myself. If you give me what is mine, I will go, if I can have your blessing. But if you won't bless my journey, I'm going to leave anyway. Son, I've always tried my best for you, and if you must be leaving home, then go with the blessing of God. Not too many days later, I was well on my way. I met a traveling stranger who seemed to have much to say. He told me tales of the city and all the women he'd had. I asked him, wasn't that sinful? He said, no, it isn't that bad. And then a few days later, on an old city road, we were drowning in laughter. We had women to hold, and this went on quite a long time. My father gave me a lot. But when my pockets were empty, my friends all left me to rot. Then a famine hit and drained the land. Everywhere I looked, I saw starvation, and a job was nowhere to be found. I wandered through the city streets, competing for the food of common beggars. Until then, I'd never known hunger, but now I wasn't too proud. I finally found some employment, feeding pigs on a farm. I wasn't treated too kindly. I had to sleep in the barn. I had to sweet eat with the swine. The bread I ate was like stone. It didn't take too much time until I was dreaming of home. Oh, the servants there are better fed. If I could only have what my father gives them, I would truly need nothing more. Oh, I will go and say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be in your family. Will you take me as your servant and let me live with them? It didn't take too long to pack my things. I left with only what I wore, and I prayed that I still had a home. I was near home, inside of the house. <clears throat> My father just stared, dropped open his mouth. He ran up the road, and I fell to my feet and cried and cried, Father, I've sinned, heaven ashamed. I'm no longer worthy to wear your name. I've learned that my home is right where you are, O oh, Father. Take me in. Bring the best robe. Put it on my son. Shoes for his feet. Hurry. Put them on. This is my son, who I thought had died. Prepare a feast for my son's alive. I've prayed and prayed, never heard a sound. My son was lost. Oh, thank you, God, he's found. My son was dead, and now he's alive. Prepare a feast for my son's alive. My son was dead. My son was lost. My son's return in the hands of God. I love that reading. John, 1 John 2 says, Love not the world, 
for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I don't have it written down here. But that's not of the Father, but that's of the world. You know, whether we're men, whether we're men, whether we're a woman or women, the devil has minefields that are designed to trip us up and make fools out of us in a very short period of time. And, and the threshold that separates us, like I said before, that separates a life of enlightenment and a life of depravity is not that wide. It's not that hard to cross. It, it only takes being lax on our part of entertaining the evil. Not being a fool is all about the Father. And not just that, but being our all for the Father. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 John 4.4, ye are children, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Not being a fool is all about being of the Father. All about being all we can for the Father. God bless you this morning. And let's be building on the, the solid rock.